0: Hello friends, welcome to or welcome back to A Runner's Life Podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Sarah Hall with my fellow BTR co-founder, Sonny. Earlier this year, Sarah claimed the US half marathon record. She's been selected to represent the United States in the world championships for the marathon. In this episode, Sarah talks about her training, her motivation and her longevity. She was 39 when she set the US half marathon record of 1 hour, 7 minutes and 15 seconds at the same Houston weekend as 37 year old Kira D'Amato who claimed the US Marathon record. We also talk about her faith, her family in regards to her adopted daughters and we talk about how she gets the rhythm right between working to be a world-class athlete whilst concurrently making family time a priority. Thank you to the sponsors of this episode, Tracksmith. They've just released a new short film on Nick Willis and it takes you behind the scenes of his record-breaking mile in his 20th year it's just incredible stuff. It's titled Take 22. As I record this I'm a week out from my next marathon in Sevilla and in terms of the kit what I'm going to go for is the Hair AC Van Cortland vest and in regards to the bottoms sometimes it can become a bit of a discussion do you go for the half tights or do you go for the shorts. So I think in this case I'm going to go for the Van Cortland shorts in navy. And just want to give a quick shout out to the team at the BBC Radio 4 Extra for the Podcast Radio Hour. A few weeks ago, they highlighted my podcast amongst some really well-known running podcasts that have inspired me to do what I'm doing today. They were super kind, as I said, that this podcast is one that they'd recommend for people to be inspired to get out and run. Moi and Laura, thank you for your kind words. Okay, so with that being said, let's head to the conversation with Sarah Hall.
1: So, Sarah, thank you very much for coming on to speak to us. I'm Sonny, and he's Marcus.
2: <laughs> nice to uh, meet you guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to do this. Just wanted to kick off by talking about your new American record. So we're, we're speaking just over a, a week after you broke the American record for the half marathon. And I just wondered... What did you feel like when you crossed the line and, and how did you feel when you woke up the following day?
2: Oh, I feel like it's still kind of setting in. It's a little bit surreal. I've, I've, that's been a goal I've had for a while. And, and I think I, as I thought about doing it at Houston, you know, I, it'd been two years since I'd gotten to run a half marathon. And so just with COVID and everything. um, So it just, it had been a long time and like I I'd felt capable of that kind of, over the last year and a half, but just never had an opportunity. And so I was hoping to, to put it together there. And, um, and I think to have everything come together, like to actually the day before was like insane wind. And so you're like, man, like you never know what you're going to get weather wise. And um, mm. so it feels, it feels really exciting and, and just meaningful doing it 15 years exactly after Ryan set the, American record in the half marathon in that same place. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it felt like a special just moment of with that, like coinciding with that as well. And it just like bookending a very long journey in this sport. That's been such a, a wild ride.
1: Sure. Was it 15 years to the day?
2: Um, it was the exact same race. And so it was the same weekend. I don't know if it was like the exact okay. <laughs> day, but like within a few days, probably. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it's really interesting you talk about that. And also, one thing that's really important in your life is faith. And for me, one of the scriptures that I actually refer to when I'm running and even thinking about life as well is Joshua 1 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged? It goes on. Yeah. Are there any sort of particular scriptures that you use as like mantras at all?
2: Um, Yeah, not really like mantras when I'm racing. Definitely ones that are like meaningful to me, like Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And I think that's just, especially like being a professional athlete and in the public eye, like it's easy to kind of want to work for approval from others and, and have your performances be like, uh, appreciated and celebrated and things like that, but really trying to rehome that it's like doing everything with all, all your heart unto the Lord, only like for an audience of one. And that's something I've, I've thought about a lot over the years and has really shaped kind of how I approach my career.
0: I guess it's a good way to sort of keep you grounded as well, isn't it?
2: For sure. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think it's, it just seeing Ryan's career too. I think, like you see how people they love you when when you're really on a high but then can kind of turn on you very quickly you know and i think that's really helped me just keep perspective that actually that's not like that's a slippery slope when you're when you're trying to win people's approval all the time and instead just it's kind of allowed me a lot more freedom in my career to just take risks and and do things that maybe people don't understand like run a bunch of marathons back to back because actually, at the end of the day, like, I don't really, I, I'm not as concerned with what what they think of it, you know, like, the, I'm excited to do the things I'm doing, because I feel called to those things, you know?
0: Yeah. And just going back to that point where you talked about just doing your own thing was to beat your own drum type of thing. Back in 2019, this is in New York, I think New York Roadrunners, and you were awarded your six star medal. And I felt quite bad, because I think the interview at the time asked, has anyone else got a six star medal? And I was one of those people that put my hand up. I felt a bit bad because I felt like I was taken away from your moment.
2: <laughs>
0: so, oh <laughs> apologies about that, but
2: oh no, you- not at all. <laughs>
0: so, like, what was like one of your best experiences from doing like the six stars?
2: Oh man, I've loved all of them so much. Like it's really hard to choose a favorite because all six of those races are so epic. Like, I just I always want to run all of them each year and like I get FOMO for whichever one I don't am not doing, you know, <laughs> like as I watch it. So um, you know, I, I'm gonna have to go with London Marathon in 2020, even though that was not the real London Marathon experience since we're doing loops around Buckingham Palace. Just everything about that race, like with it being in the middle of COVID and after the biggest disappointment in my career to and then everything how that race played out was like my worst case scenario but then to have like the best race of my career amidst all of that and have such an exciting finish i think that'll that'll always be that'll be hard to beat i think in my career as far as like best moments
1: <laughs> and, it, and it was a really exciting finish and um and i'm sure our our uk listeners will be uh will be grateful that you chose london as your favorite one because <laughs> because we think it's the best as well um
2: I definitely gained a lot more uh, British followers after that I'm sure. <laughs> race, <Yeah.
1: for> sure. <laughs> uh you announced yourself here. So just going back to your your half marathon record, I you posted sort of soon afterwards where you contrasted your kind of years and years of work and the setbacks that you had to get you to that point. And you contrasted that with, I think you called it Ryan's effortless way in which he'd kind of achieved the same thing years before. Mm-hmm does your achievement mean more to you because of how hard you've had to work for it?
2: I think so. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, there's just, there's so many more layers to it of just, you know, I think Ryan's was, was so meaningful and that it like, it was just one of those moments where you're like, wow, I wonder like how fast I could have gone. Like, it was like <laughs> anything would have been possible in that moment. Like if he had had, a pacemaker, like someone to run with or better conditions or like any of those things. Like it was just, yeah, it was one of those like supernatural kind of moments, you know? Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say my race was like that in Houston. It was very much more like just like culmination of years and years of grinding. And, but I think, yeah, it is, it is fulfilling in that way because, um, it's like, sometimes you, uh, you, you, yeah, there were just a lot of times where it didn't make sense on paper that I was continuing to do this career. But I I definitely felt in my spirit from God that like, there was there was stuff ahead. And, and I still had joy for the process and hope for the process. And, and, and so I think it's really fulfilling when you're like, wow, I, like, I really did hear from God in that moment, like, and I'm really glad I listened and it makes you want to continue to, to be in tune that way. <laughs>
1: We're glad you
0: did. I mean, that you know, you're you're running so well right now. Thank you. I just want to go back to that that London marathon. And I think me, Sonny, probably a lot of people included, like to think that we have that same finishing <laughs> that kick, but obviously looking <laughs> back at it, it would be completely different. So I'm pretty sure if you had a dollar for every time someone said that to you, you'd be like, Okay, <laughs> I get it.
2: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. You know, I I hope it shows that like speed's important even for the marathon. And I think it's been fun just to just to have a lot of people tag me like I was feeling really rough, but I, I kicked it in like you. And like, I, I think it just gave people a visual of like how to just like give it everything you have at the end. And, and that's really meaningful to me because mm-hmm. I think, you know, we try to make our performances be about more than just us. And it's, it's awesome when it can trickle out to to, um, yeah, just helping other people in their journeys.
0: I just want to go back to that race and I know I made a joke about the kick but there's so much in that race so in my research I I read that apparently around about lap nine you discarded your watch and you just sort of concentrated just on pace and effort so I guess one of the things about racing and running is that we kind of learn to don't expect perfection and to embrace just being your best when the moments aren't as positive as we would like and don't go to plan in the way that we like and also also to expect that it will hurt. Can you talk about this idea in your own running about how that worked and actually how then it ended up you doing such an amazing race in London?
2: Yeah, you know, I think obviously these are GPS and stuff are awesome tools for our training and like really necessary now. But I know for myself too, like they can kind of steal the joy from the process. Like if you're like before, like I mean I've been a pro long enough where like it was pre-GPS where we like we just had like a stopwatch basically. And like, we were just like, Oh, like that, that was a good run. I felt strong. Like, you know, I don't really know how far faster and, but like it was, there was easier to feel successful about your training. And now it's like you're two seconds off a mile in your pace. And you're like, I'll get all bent out of shape about that. Like not how fast I wanted to run. And so I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's, it's important to like use it, or just, yeah, like what your relationship, identify what your relationship is with it. And for me in that race, I knew that like, so my watch was showing me running a lot faster than the splits and that was so, but I was worried that what would happen is it would start to catch up as sometimes it does and start showing like a lot slower splits. And then I would start to feel not good about where I was at. Cause I was just all alone in the race at that point. And, uh, and so I, did, I didn't want that to happen. So I kind of preemptively discarded it also because it wasn't really giving me any feedback, so it wasn't, wasn't helping me at all. So, so yeah, that was kind of my thought process. But I think definitely like you have to know when maybe to, to leave the GPS at home and just go by feel.
1: That's a really interesting kind of approach to technology because so many people are kind of wedded to their watch and you know, just can't even bear the thought of going for a run without it. And I was interested that, you know, other aspects of technology as well, because I know that you run in ASIC's MetaSpeed shoes, which are kind of the latest generation of carbon-plated shoes that many people have heard so much about. And I just wondered how you feel about the impact of shoe technology on running as a sport.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's been a journey the last five years for sure It's uh, with shoes. Like I think at first we didn't even know that technology had um, come out and like, didn't really know, um, how, how performance enhancing it was. And then, Mm. um, and then I think, you know, like the Olympic marathon trials is an example of a time where I was not in a high stack height, like shoe with like really responsive foam. And, and I felt like that really affected my race. And so that's, that's a hard part where the sport, you know, at the end of the day, people want to see who's the fastest, who's the strongest. And. Where it's really impacting that from happening, you know? But now that I'm in that technology, like, I love it. Like, I, and I can see why, like, I'm glad it's here to stay, you know, because it's, it actually makes running really fun to have like bouncy shoes. <laughs> and, and it like definitely, like, it takes a lot of the pounding out of your legs, especially for marathon training. I mean, you're pounding on the roads all the time. And like, it definitely, I feel like you're able to do more training, you're able to obviously run faster but just like how your body handles that road work is a lot easier. And as someone that likes to race a lot, like I feel like I can recover from races. I'm not as beat up from from marathons in these shoes and stuff. So so all that to say, I think it's definitely like a net positive now and and really amazing like technology, but but yeah, there's definitely a period where it definitely affected the sport and it was a difficult time for sure.
0: But it seems like everyone's sort of catching up now and it's a little bit more of a level playing field. And I just want to put the technology to one side and just go back to your running career. Now you've competed in middle distance through to cross country. Can you talk about the mental growth transitioning from those distances into the marathon distance? And like what practices did you adopt and what practices did you let go?
2: Yeah. Well, I I kind of always thought of myself as like a miler middle distance runner. Like I have pretty good natural speed and, and my husband, you know, moved up to the marathon really quickly, but I was like, Oh man, I don't, I don't think I could focus that long or like, I don't think I'll ever be good at that. And it's funny what kind of things you believe about yourself that might not even be true. You know, (laughs) it's kind of like a good reminder to not put yourself in a box or just like expect those things of yourself that, that are based on nothing, you know, but, but, um, I did really love the middle distance. Like I love the rush of those, like really short races where it's like all about getting out hard and positioning and kicking. And, and that was like a really fun period of my career. And then when I moved up to the marathon, it definitely took, um, like being more patient in workouts. Like I was used to just getting off the line really hard And Ryan would be like, Whoa, like this is a 16 mile tempo run. Like you can't get out this hard, you know, but it's just like ingrained in you from all those track intervals and races. Like you just like get out and get, get in position. And, and so, so yeah, but actually I I was really just surprised myself with how much I loved the marathon training. Um, I just really love, like, I think I, I just had a lot of room for improvement because I was a middle distance runner. And so I just got really addicted to improving and and getting a little faster in my long runs a little faster in my tempo runs and but yeah definitely mentally you you have to find tools to deal with the boredom or deal with the pain and and I've kind of come up with mantras and different coping mechanisms to to kind of deal with that because the marathon I mean those last six miles like they're going to be hard and and it's still a long time right to be suffering and so you really have to figure out like what's going to work for you in that period. It's, it's definitely different than a race. that's four minutes long.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting when you say that, because like you said, in the middle distance, you literally you have got to go from the start. You've got to get a position. You can't hang back because by that time, it, you know, the race is already gone and it's a short, sharp pain. Whereas the marathon it's painful, but it's just extended out and it's got a lot of time to think about how painful that is.
2: <laughs> yeah. It really is, yeah.
0: So, I mean, you're
1: you're doing your best running of your career now at a at a time when many other runners have, have kind of hung up their shoes. So, I'm just wondering what advice you would give to, uh, I'm going to say, older recreational runners, you know, who are maybe feeling their age catching up with them, or maybe to about people. Talk yourself, Sunny. Um, always, <laughs> Marcus. Yeah. Um, so, or or maybe to uh, people who are coming new to running, uh, but for the first time, like in their thirties and forties.
2: Yeah. You know, um, recovery is definitely an art. Like you have to figure out for yourself, like what things your body responds to. I mean, I think I'm constantly focused on recovery because you can keep improving your aerobic capacity for many years. Like age is actually an asset. For aerobic strength, it's really just your body and like, can you handle the pounding without getting injured and and stuff? And that starts to kind of uh, break down more with age. But for me, I mean, big keys, I found a really good physical therapist. Uh, He does active release technique massage. And so he's made a big difference in in being able to handle the training volume and continue to, to stay healthy, as well as my husband he does quite a bit of massage on me, which he's not trained, but just over time of getting a lot of massage, we kind of know what to do, you know, because yeah. And he's strong, right. He's in the weight room all the time. So he's able to, to really dig deep, which we need, Um, as well as I do a lot on my own. Like I do a ton of self massage stuff and, and then strength training, I would say would be another big thing that's helped me avoid injuries and keep improving. And I think, especially aging runners like getting in the weight room and and keeping strength going is it would be really important and then that helps you be able to handle the pounding better as well as shoes right getting fitted in the correct shoes for you and ones that have like really responsive foam i think especially can really help your joints and stuff so i really love um the asics nova blast is is a trainer that's been like a massive game changer for me because i used to run in like really thin dense like shoes and your calves would just get pretty destroyed and stuff. But now these just absorb a lot more of the impact. And so, so yeah, those are some, some things I would say, but I I would say just keeping an open mind too. Like I don't ever joke about being old. I don't think of myself as old. Like my my coach early on was talking to Dina Castor, who was my teammate at the time and she was in her thirties And she was joking about being old. And he was like, Hey, Dina, when you start saying that you, you start the clock. So don't, don't say that. And that really, you know, I was only 22 at the time, but that really like stuck with me. Like, don't speak that over yourself. And, and so that's something that I just, yeah, have, have um, adopted. And I feel like that has helped as well.
0: I I think I need to do that myself. (laughs) just going back to what you spoke about the marathon training but I don't want to take away from what you said because I think you know the words that we speak over ourselves are so super important so yeah yeah, you've got to set your intentions correctly so thank you for sharing that but I just wanted to go back to the training and I'm probably trying to get some free marathon advice because it's not every day you're going to speak to Sarah at all so (laughs) so (laughs) marathon pace runs okay Now they are important in your long runs and obviously there's many ways you can do your training. What's your thoughts on this? So if you're getting towards the marathon block, do you advocate lots of long marathon pace runs or do you end up splitting your marathon pace runs within a long run within sort of different segments where you speed up, slow down, or how would you advise to do that?
2: Yeah, my way of doing that. And that's interesting. You you talk about breaking it up because I haven't heard of many people doing that, but then, I saw Kira, who just set the American record post, like one of her like workouts that she was so stoked about for Houston was like varying, like, like two miles and then like some more running and then a mile. And, but for me, I I've always done it straight through. So I'm either running a marathon pace, tempo run up to from anywhere from like 10 to 16 miles straight, or I'm doing like a 10, 10 miles at like a brisk run pace, but like a minute per mile slower than my marathon pace. But that for me is still pretty brisk. That's like 618 pace or whatever. Um, and then, then doing 10 miles at the marathon pace itself. So those, those are probably the hardest workouts because you're doing a marathon pace tempo run after your legs are already kind of tired from doing the, the earlier block. So those are kind of the two things as far as running actual marathon pace. And and then I live at altitude. So sometimes you're adjusting for that. But if I was doing it at sea level, I would try to run exactly marathon pace or faster.
0: That makes sense.
1: Hmm. I want I wanted to maybe move away from running a little bit and to talk about the foundation, the Hall Steps Foundation that you set up with Ryan, which was set up to fight poverty through better health. I'm just wondering how big a role do you think that sport can play in improving wider society?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I think massive, like I don't know about you guys, but sports's been so instrumental to in my life in just so many ways like and then I see it in my kids' lives like my kids didn't grow up playing sports, like they grew up in rural Ethiopia village life. And they were in a culture where women were very empowered. And, and so coming over to the US, like just seeing how sport just built their confidence so much, seeing them actually physically get a lot stronger and healthier because they, they had been in an orphanage, not really able to leave this house for three years. And so they, had, they were not very physically fit at the time. And, And, and just seeing like that just parallel to other aspects of their life. Like they had a lot of other, so they, you know, they started not being able to run one lap, but then my daughter soon was the state champion in cross country. And so seeing their growth in that, then they're like, Hey, these other areas that are challenging for me, like learning English or school, because they'd never been to school. Like I just have to keep putting in the work just like with running and take it you know, one day at a time, like it's going to get better. Like I can, you know, and so, yeah, I think just learning that grit, learning to like overcome failures and rebound. And they've seen me do that over and over again. Like that's the kind of the benefit of doing this while having kids Is they can, they can see me go through all these things and, and the stuff that I want to instill in them, that grit and that resiliency and, and continuing to hope again and believe again. and and all of that stuff I get to actually like model to them in real time. So, so yeah, I think sport, obviously the, the physical aspects are so important for like just a healthy lifestyle, but then I feel like just at a greater level, like all those character traits, you know, has the potential for that.
1: So I can, yeah, I mean, I can see how that, you know, that modeling that you, you mentioned you know, where people can see role models and see, uh, well, if they can do it, well, I can do that. Or, you know, if I can do that in sport, I can do that in other things. But I'm also wondering at the kind of more sort of systemic level, like, you know, the institutions of sport, do they have a role to play in making, in improving society? You know, do they do that?
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I would think so. I think, yeah. I'm not sure. What do you think? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I personally I think they could do more. Yeah. You know, I, I think there are, you know, I think they they clearly have a big influence. You know, sport is clearly important to society as a whole. But I think sometimes they don't get it quite right. And sometimes, you know, they're not the kind of leaders that they should be, or sport doesn't lead in the way that maybe it should be.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Because I think it has a great power. And sometimes, you know, that power is either not used or sometimes misused. Hmm. Sorry, that was a a difficult question.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it seems like, yeah, like at the individual level, like athletes are kind of recognizing that and wanting to bring that. But yeah, as far as the institutions and how they can do better, that's an interesting, I'll think about that. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: just want to go back to, at the points that you're talking about in terms of raising your daughters and I spoke to my wife saying that I was going to speak to you and she asked this question, she said to me, can you ask Sarah, how do you juggle being a mum and training to a high level without compromising your family time?
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard it's, it's definitely a juggle and like one I don't know if I'm necessarily getting right, like we'll find out you know, <laughs> 10 years from now maybe but something I think about a lot and I'm trying to be really intentional about So for me, you know, like all my kids are in school, so I try to get in as much of my training as I can while they're at school. And then, but then on the weekends, you know, I'm training and, and that's just like part of our family rhythm. And, but, but so yesterday we went down in altitude for my workout, but then we went to like, like this Creek to hang out for a little bit. went for like a short hike and tried to like, still, you know, if we're all, if we're going to do it all together, like and it's not all doing what revolves around my training, but also like thinking of what would be fun for them. And, and so, yeah, I would say, you know, it's hard because like I did this sport for 10 years without kids and like, I know what that's like to be really like dialed in and, and really focused on recovery. And like my, my lifestyle doesn't look totally like that anymore, but at the same time, like my kids are really, Like they, they're excited about my running. They understand it and they're, um, they're really supportive and, and because they've adjusted really well to life in the U S they, um, it's allowed me to keep doing this. So, so yeah, I would say you kind of just have to be okay with, yeah, just, well, at the professional level, I guess, just not comparing your lifestyle to other people and, and just be confident you can keep improving doing this. But, but in general, for other people, I would say like, definitely don't feel bad about carving out that time for yourself to run because it's important to model that to your kids. Like you want them to create that time for themselves for like being physically active is super important, but also showing them something that makes you come alive. Cause you know, that's what you hope for your kids is like, they find something that makes them come alive. Right. And I think there's kind of in the U S at least like there's this culture of like ideal motherhood is like martyrdom. And you just are totally selfless for the sake of your kids. And you're just at their beck and call all the time, you know, but actually that's like kind of doing your kids a disservice because they're not getting to see what it's like for an, a, you as an adult, like having something you love that you're working hard towards that makes you come alive. And like, those are the things that you want for them, you know? And so, so yeah, I think, I think sometimes we, we have that mom guilt, that's natural, right? Like anytime we're gone or like, uh, miss something or, you know, but I think really like, it's about quality time with your kids and not necessarily being there hundred percent of the time, but, but also like realizing that maybe the time you are gone, like that's, that's good for them to see, you know, you doing, you know, that, that sport and, and accomplishing your goals and things like that.
0: The stuff that you share online, it does look like you have a lot of fun together and that does come across. But also I think it's really important you talked about as well. Just it's important for them to see what you're doing. And I think they they see it modeled in themselves where you're getting up, you're doing what you need to do, but they're also seeing, I don't like the word failure, but because obviously you've had to go through so many points to get to where you are now. So they see all that process. They know it's not just going to be given to them what they choose to do.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think it's like, it's also teaching them to, like, be caring for you too. Where like everyone's important in the family, right? Like, it's not like the ki- everything revolves around the kids. Like, it's like they're learning how, what it means to support you, just like you're supporting them, and that's important. Otherwise, you re- you have kids that think the world revolves around them, you know. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: absolutely. So, also with your your children, it it seems from from what seen on what you share online that you know you're very you feel it's very important that they are raised in a, a culturally authentic way you know given that they you know their early lives were, were very different to, to the lives they have now um and so i'm just wondering you know why that cultural authenticity that sort of multicultural family kind of that you're developing uh, is so important to you and what and what are the challenges and and maybe the rewards of that
2: yeah well um I think what's helped for us is like we genuinely really loved Ethiopian culture like even before we knew them so I think that's made our story maybe a little bit different than other international adoption families where you know they don't necessarily like spend a lot of time in that country or, and it's like, they try to like keep the culture alive by like, you know, doing little cultural nights or things and stuff. But, but like, for us, like we actually like really loved Ethiopia, like even before we knew the kids, like we were enjoying training over there. And, and obviously really early on, we started the adoption process and it kind of makes you love it more by knowing one day your kids are going to come from there, even though we didn't know our kids at the time. But yeah, I think, you know, Ethiopia is a place like I want to live when I'm done running, or I would even, I would move there tomorrow, actually. Like we're building a home there and, and it's not quite the timing for our family to live there. But I think like for my kids, like I'm like, when we, when we go back there to visit, like I'm the one that wants to go more than anyone. (laughs) And, and so, and we like, we cook the food a lot. and we like, we listen to the music and like, but to me, but it's, it's kind of been more organic that it's like, I'm not doing that for them. Like I'm, I'm doing it cause I actually like the food and actually, you know, like I actually want to go there. And so, so I think that's been cool because I think that they, they feel more known by us. Like, cause that's a big part of who they are, right? Like, especially my older daughters, like have lived there way longer than they've lived here. And so, so yeah. And then kind of the stuff along with that, like is you know, we haven't had a lot of, I don't know, resistance to being an interracial family, thankfully, like it's, it's been something that's kind of happened naturally. And I think, you know, obviously, there was a lot of, they were new to this culture. And so there's a lot of kind of that process took a bit with each other and stuff. But yeah, it definitely, you know, it's something we're dialoguing about, especially as race is more a topic recently with George Floyd and and everything that's happened in the U S and, and that's, that's been a good learning experience for all of us because, you know, my kids, they didn't, they didn't grow up here and they are still understanding what it means to be black in the U S themselves. Like they're, it's even thinking of themselves as black is kind of a new (laughs) concept to them (laughs) um, because Ethiopia is like really homogenous. So just even like the concept of race was kind of like a new concept. And so, so yeah, so it's, I I would say like, it's been a pretty smooth transition with all of those things, but definitely something that like, you know, we're trying to learn alongside them. And, but thankfully it's ever the two places we've lived, they've always been really embraced in that culture and stuff. And so I'm thankful for that
1: yeah uh, that's that's really interesting uh you know what you say about you know them not even thinking of themselves as black until they go somewhere other than you know where they were you know originally from, and I think that's something that would you know not even occur to many people that that's a kind of process because you know certainly many people in the in you know in Europe in north america you know that's that's not in their experience and it's very hard to put yourself into the shoes of of somebody at that sort of level of experience really so it's really good to hear that kind of you know spelt out in that way
2: yeah yeah it's definitely like when when we spend time in Ethiopia like you'll go days without seeing another foreigner there so I think you know that's definitely something that was but then coming here like it was it was like of course there's a lot of white people like I'm in America it's just like was kind of their expectation you know, versus maybe expecting it to be really like, like they, they, they didn't expect it to be like Ethiopia, you know, but yeah. then still like my daughter is into acting and it's been interesting just seeing her like talk about, like she wants to be a Hollywood star one day, but she, she talks about being worried that, about getting roles because she's black or I can only go for these roles right. because I'm black or, you know, and so, so yeah, just I think it's it's constantly things are coming up more and more as they get older and and are become more involved in life here, you know.
0: Sure. And I think it's really interesting. I wanted to go into another point but just just touching upon what you just said there. I mean, what kind of challenges, I mean, you touched upon it there, but what sort of challenges have sort of come to mind sort of raising, you know, your kids because like for example, for me, my kids are mixed heritage and it's sometimes quite not always easy to get the balance right between the different heritages and different races. I just wanted to get some tips on how you kind of manage that kind of that minefield really.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm really like an expert necessarily, but I think, yeah, I think we just, we kind of just, yeah, take it as it comes. And I think like we try to like just have open dialogue with them about how they're feeling about everything. And yeah, I I think, is for me i've 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 always tried to just emphasize how much i love their what makes them them like the ethiopian part of them and i think since they see me genuinely love ethiopian culture so much like that comes across as like genuine you know and so mm-hmm. like it, i think even though they're different than other kids they're around like i I hope I've instilled in them, like how that's like a good different, you know? And like, and just, I talk so much about how much I love all those aspects and like, and I don't want them to lose any of that, like being here and stuff. And so I feel like we're, we're just celebrating it a lot. And, and even saying like, Oh, I wish I like, I had this, like you, you know? And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I think it's natural for them to, I think you want to be like fit in, right? Especially as like yeah. a teenager and stuff. And so they want to be like the kids around them. But I think just trying to reinforce that like their uniqueness is actually like really cool, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. And in your younger life, you kind of want to fit in. Then you get older, just like, just don't really care. let do my own thing. <laughs> so the irony once yeah. you know yourself a little bit more. and. One thing I want to ask you as well is that you probably get asked a lot of the same questions in terms of like what we spoke about with your kids or how you maintain your longevity in the sport or recent achievements. But if you were on this side of the mic and you were interviewing yourself, what would you want people to know about yourself? What would you ask yourself?
2: Ooh, um, that's a hard one. Well, I would say like, why maybe like, why, like what's allowed you, allowed you to keep doing this or why are you keeping, why are you still doing this or something? And I I would say, you know, um, one thing I just hope to instill in people I share is just like, for me, like it was, it was my faith, like that it took like really failing a lot to really experience the unconditional love of God. And and in a way that like, I only knew about it in my head. like, but I would known my whole life kind of about that, but like, it actually took like experiencing it going through a lot of failure to experience it. And then once I did, and I realized like, like I'm worthy of love and belonging, like no matter what, just because like, we're all, we're all worthy of that. Cause like God created all of us and he loves all of us like unconditionally. And like, and, and that's not how you, the world like treats you. Right. Like when you're, like when you're out running it's like if you win you're celebrated if you lose you're looked down upon and things but but it took kind of going really deep in my faith to to actually that just freed me up to really love this sport more than I ever have right now and like it just kind of snowballed from there like just feeling more free because I had kind of gotten in this this point of fearing failure because I felt like I was letting all these people down and like I was like there were all these anonymous people criticizing me if I failed. And, and so I was like, every time out was like, I wasn't excited to compete. Like I was, I was more just hope, trying not to fail. And, uh, and that was stealing the joy of the sport and joy of competing for me. But, but once I got freed up from that, and I, I was like, I don't have to perform for love. Like, like I'm worthy of that no matter what. And like, this is just like, something i get to do for fun and it's not like like everything is high stakes and this is all on the line every time out you know that's when i started to enjoy the sport again and 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 it's just kind of spiraled ever since then every year and and gotten to the point now where i'm I'm enjoying it the most i have at age 38 which I, i never would have guessed and so that's that's something i hope for everyone else too
0: there's so much in what you just said there and i just want to touch upon it so can you talk a little bit about what that process of letting go looked like? Is there a specific moment that happened to you where you could kind of discard those kind of expectations to kind of be, I guess, who you are, who you truly are?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of a process of just changing the way I thought. But there are a few like moments of like experiencing God in a tangible way and and his love that just kind of rewired, I feel like my brain <laughs> and of, of how I had been stuck in these thought patterns and it kind of like just experiencing him. Like I'd always like believed in God, but like hadn't really experienced him in a like actual, like tangible way. And so that really like, yeah, it, I would say those instances, I mean, there was some unlearning that was like walking that out, but like, that actually did shift things in a like before and after type of, way. And, and yeah, it w- but yeah, it was like, I think, you know, I'd just grown up in a church that was pretty like religious, but I think just realizing there was like so much more like to God than religion, you know, and like so much more to experience of him and so much more freedom to do what I was like, like you can choose, you can do whatever you want to do unto him. Like, and it's not like only certain things are spiritual. It's like everything's spiritual, you know? And, And I I think I felt like what I was doing was selfish and I wasn't even succeeding at it and stuff. But, but I think, yeah, I think just the more that I kind of stepped into this place of like, all right, I'm just starting from a place of being loved and accepted. Like, I don't have to earn that. Like, I'm just, that's the baseline. Like that's not going away no matter what, no matter how bad I feel. And then just seeing yourself from that place and operating from that place then was like, yeah. Yeah like a game changer for me that makes sense (laughs) sorry it's a lot of kind of uh woo woo stuff but
0: (laughs) no it does because i think we talk about Sorry, i don't get too deep but sometimes with religion as well sometimes you can come from the place of like you're damned you're this don't mean you're not worthy and you talked about actually from a place of love and then almost also about how your communication you know has changed and how you can interpret things
2: yeah for sure, yeah. I think that, like, sorry, what what do you mean exactly by communication?
0: I guess like how you communicate with, like, I guess whatever your faith is with God whatever. Um, some people's communication, I guess, is a, a certain way. Like, it only happens on a Sunday or only happens in certain prayers. But I guess some people just like naturally know it changes. That so your communication with God changes on a daily basis. I mean, it's 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 a a fluid type thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think just realizing like nothing can separate you from his love. Like, and yeah, I think, I think like, sometimes you feel like you have to, yeah, like religion will tell you, you have to earn that love and stuff, but actually like nothing, like there's, there's nothing that can separate. Like, you may not always feel that connection with God, but it's nothing separating you from him, you know?
1: Yeah. Just wanted to, perhaps you could tell us, you know, what, what you're going to be doing next. I know that you've been selected for the world championships in the marathon, but what other big, what other races have you got coming up that people can uh, follow?
2: Yeah. So I'll be running the Boston marathon this year and yeah, the world championships in Eugene, which is huge. Cause it's the first time the U S has ever hosted the world championships. I'll be out in the marathon there and I'll have a couple other things that can't announce quite yet but tbd that will be happening before then so yeah i'm really excited so thankful races are back and, and really excited to get out there as much as i can now
1: fantastic well listen sarah we really appreciate uh you taking time out of your busy day to speak to us it's been a real pleasure hearing from you about all aspects of your your running and
0: your life really really interesting thank you
2: thank you it's great thank to meet you, you guys
0: so, Sadi, we've just spoken to Sarah. What were your initial thoughts?
1: Well, my initial thoughts is that she's she's so down to earth for for an elite athlete. I mean, not that I know very many elite athletes, but um, you know, she talks in a way and describes her running and the process of training and things in a way which a regular runner would absolutely understand. If I can understand it, then anyone can.
0: Yeah especially when we spoke about the transition from say the middle distance to the marathon and you know talking about those feelings of like what it's like and and the feeling of the last 10k sometimes I think people have the idea that only certain people suffer but it's it's okay for everyone else but we're all kind of feeling the same kind of feelings <laughs> the last 10k of a marathon. Yeah. I.e. When is this going to end? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I mean you know Yeah, I mean, every kind of first-time marathoner and fifth-time marathoner will say, you know, the last six miles, they were the worst. And, you know, and that's exactly what she was saying as well. Um, And I think it was also talking about what, what kind of, what's been going on in her head throughout her career and that kind of transition from kind of fearing failure to taking a, you know, what seems like a kind of, entirely positive approach to uh running uh you know and that seems to be you know and, and suggesting that you know that in itself has kind of helped to transform her performance uh, and i think that's something again that lots of you know lots of uh recreational runners lots of mere mortal runners would you know would absolutely be able to relate to um you know there are plenty of people out there who do seem to fear failure um, and it kind of takes the joy out of the whole thing and, and actually stops them
0: being as good as they could be. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, we just didn't have enough time. I feel like this is one of those conversations that I would have loved to have with her on the long run where we started talking <laughs> about just stripping back like what that process was. So we got towards the end of it. What does that look like when you're stripping it away? And we touched upon how her faith is important to her and how that meshed together. We start to get like a little bit more of an understanding and how that process has played out. Mm. Well, you know what? You next time she comes to London,
1: you'll have to, you know, run the marathon with her, and then you'll be able to have a chat as you're going round.
0: <laughs> to be honest, if I could catch up with her and still have a conversation, then that would just be <laughs> <laughs> questions would be asked. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> drug testing questions would be asked. To be honest, how can you <laughs> run that fast and still have a conversation? <laughs>
1: yeah uh yeah And know I, I you know i also thought it was interesting hearing about her kids and the and the sort of journey that they've been on and she's been on with them um and you know i thought it was really interesting that point about you know until her kids came to america from Ethiopia, they had never really thought of themselves you know hadn't thought of their own race they hadn't thought of themselves as black they were just people hmm. and i remember having a the kind of similar thing in reverse when I first well when I went to Jamaica as an adult and you know I've grown up in the UK in a totally sort of you know predominantly white society where race absolutely was you know something that I couldn't avoid having you know thought about and then going to a country where being black kind of wasn't you know, even you know, it wasn't something that you would remark upon, uh, and if you did, it was a good thing. So it was, yeah, I kind of could relate to that in a way, um, and could sort of see how disconcerting it would could be uh, to sort of move from you know Ethiopia to to America in that in that kind of circumstances, Um you know, obviously, you know, they those kids are are you know loved and cherished uh, in their family um but you know they're living in a very different different society
0: uh than the one they grew up in yeah that makes sense like you said they're more consciously aware now of their race whereas what you've just said there it reminds me when I was at university and I spoke to friends that came from say african countries or from the caribbean and they always remarked that how people like myself or just like british people had a different perspective. Mm. And I think that's almost the accepting because they just accepted that that is just the norm. You know, they're not any different. Whereas I think sometimes people like myself or other people can grow up with a slight chip in their shoulder because you're always, actually it's a sweeping statement, not always, but you're sometimes othered or you're, it's been brought to your attention that you're not, you know, deemed as, you know, part of the wider society. Yeah, and
1: I thought what what was interesting about you know, what came out of what she said was the the kind of acceptance or, you know, validating that those experiences are, you know, are valid, you know, that just because someone's experienced something different to you and they're coming at it from a different place, that doesn't make it right or wrong. It doesn't make it better and worse. It just is what people's experience is. And that's what we have to sort of take into consideration when when we're, you know, when we're interacting with them, when we're spending time with them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it doesn't have all the answers. And I think as long as you're kind of asking the questions and making like your kids and everyone else, like in your situation, feel loved, like uh, aware of their, their history, who they are, that's it's, it's fine. It's normal. I think that's, I, I think a good way to start. And I think just widen that there was so much that I wanted to ask. And I think the same for you, but it was just, not enough time, and I think the podcast to me ends up just asking a question and then asking a question off that, and asking a question off that, and it's then they just go down the rabbit hole. But then that's how conversations <laughs> start, because like yeah. if we had a conversation, you wouldn't just ask a question and ask another question, would you? It'd just be <laughs> you're not listening to anything
1: I'm saying. No, yeah, ex- absolutely. It'd just be us talking over each other, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but but we did get some time with her, and and I yeah. you know, and I'm sure that uh, our listeners will. Uh, take some great value away from some of the things that she said there so um, yeah a really interesting conversation and yeah, we, we could
0: always talk more but yeah I'm glad that we got the talk that we did <laughs> absolutely no that was a great conversation so um, I really enjoyed it cool. thank you for listening to this episode of a runner's life if you found value in this episode and you want to support the show please share with your community post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash a runner's life. If you want to get updates on the podcast or you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at a runner's life underscore podcast and at The Marathon markers. Your time is valuable. So thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.